Mike Schmidt from Savoy Church in Port St. Lucie. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome, welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're so glad you've tuned into the show today. We really appreciate you being here with us this morning. Hope you can stay with us for the rest of the show. We'll be on here till 10 o'clock. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard. One of the hosts of the show, along with me, is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Great. We're glad that we can be here with you. We've got a couple of things to talk about, but uh, we will certainly want to hear what you have to say or what you might want to add to the discussion today. This is a live call-in show. I'll give you just a second to grab a pencil. I'm going to give you the numbers to reach us in just a second if you haven't written them down already. And we'd like to hear from you today. We welcome all comments and questions, and we certainly aren't going to be antagonistic or confrontational in our discussion with you, even if we disagree. So you can feel free to call We Are Just Christians today, and hopefully we can have a good discussion about spiritual things. We, we, don't, we don't care if you're a believer or not a believer or anything like that. Those things don't matter as far as being participating in the show, and we'd like to have you with us. So if you'd like to reach us here at We Are Just Christians... You can dial 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590, and we will um, we'll put you right on the air. And uh, if you'd like to reach us by text message, there's two text numbers, and uh, the, the text numbers are 772-260-6120, that's mine, and 772 772- Two six zero six two two zero. That's Gary's uh, Gary Jones's cell phone number, and we'd be glad to talk with you uh, this morning about anything that's on your mind. Maybe I need to tell you a little bit about the show, so you see if you're interested in getting a hold of us. We are just Christians. Is about the idea that we we need to go back to the New Testament to find out how to live and what to think and how to order our lives, both individually and in the church. Get past a lot of the religious traditions and and uh, denominationalism and all the stuff that's been added to the Bible in place of the Bible and replacing it in off of people's minds and go back to the Bible itself. And believe the we believe the Bible, although it is an old old book, is a very pertinent and relevant book to us today. Nothing new under the sun, as Solomon says, Gary. Right. And so, but- therefore, we feel we can give you a Bible answer to Bible things. Well, and what we have to understand is the Bible claims for itself to be the inspired Word of God. Correct. And basically in John twelve forty eight, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's a so very important scripture and you're, I'm going to drive you crazy with it because I think it's one of the most important scriptures that we can read because it's the motivation for understanding what God has to say and what we need to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so uh, when you call in, we're going to listen to your question or comments, and we're going to respond to that. We're going to give you our best understanding of what the Bible says about those things. We're going to try to point you to different scriptures you can look at. And I believe that from experience and from what the scriptures say, you'll find guidance and uh, help in whatever you're thinking about. And perhaps even if you're not a believer, we'd be glad to discuss with you about why we believe the Bible is the book to go to, why we believe there's a God, why we believe you can go to the New Testament and find out what to do and how, whether, a lot of people think today, Gary, we've talked about it before in this show, 
that we don't even know what's in the Bible. And what's in the Bible has been altered by the uh, Illuminati or something, a Catholic Church and all that. And we, we can talk about those kind of things. We believe you can't have confidence that, that, that the English translation that you have today represents what Christ and his apostles left for us. And there's some very logical and archaeological and historical reasons for that. Too. Exactly, exactly. Scientific, actually, because yes. you're dealing with the, with the science of bibliography and all, uh, it's all not, those kinds It's of not things. an emotional question as whether or not we have an accurate yes. depiction of what the, was originally written. Now, I know it bothers some people, but this show is not about believing in God because I feel it in my heart. Uh, that's not how, why I believe in God, because I feel him in my heart. I believe in God for more for rational reasons uh, along with what is in the scriptures because those two things go together. So we'd be glad to hear from you. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of a, a personal difficulty. Gary and I have years and years of experience in dealing with people. And, and probably most importantly, Gary, you and I have had our own set of problems. Oh, yes. Both old men have, have lived through life with their own set of problems. And we've used the Bible to guide us in those efforts to get through life. And so... Uh, and we've made our share of mistakes. I was fixing something the other day, and I don't know, my son-in-law or somebody says, you know, how do you, how do you know how to do that? I said, well, the reason I know how to do that is because I've messed up many times, okay, <laughs> and made a lot of mistakes, and so therefore I've had to try to fix them, and now you figure out how to do things. So we'll be glad to talk to you about those things. Maybe something has caught your attention in the news or in the culture itself that you'd like to talk about. Uh, We'd be glad to discuss those things with you, too. And our culture is changing very rapidly, not for the better. Exactly. That's the problem. And not, not, not for the better as far as many moral things are concerned. That's right. There. Now, when we, um, we, we had a call. Let me give you the numbers again. I'm kind of getting my brain is kind of boiling around here. Uh, let me give you the numbers again. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. You can reach us here on WPSL. And uh, you can also reach us by text at 772-340-6120 or 6220 are the two text numbers that we'd be glad to. you can reach us. And you can use the text numbers not just today but any day of the week. That's fine. We'd be glad to talk with you any day of the week about any of those kind of things. So, uh, we had a we had a text last week, Gary. Um, I guess it was, cons- and I'm afraid because it got in at the, at the end of the show. It was from a, a listener in Georgia. Um, they got in at the end of the show, and therefore, perhaps I think we kind of may, may have cut the. We may have cut the answer off a little bit short, and I got to thinking about this, this text and this question some this week, and so I wanted to go back to it briefly and um, talk about it again, if I can find the text here somewhere, um, but I'll, I'll just do it from memory, because I, I thought I had it right in front of me, but uh, I don't see the text. It was from a lady in Georgia, and uh, basically... What it was is since it's Mother's Day, could we deal with the passage in First First uh, Timothy chapter two, uh, verse fifteen, uh, about be a woman being saved in childbearing, and what that means. Now I don't know whether 
uh, I hit upon the issue that the texture had in mind. I think we did from because I did send her a copy of the audio recording of this show to listen to because she wasn't able to listen to the whole answer. Something went wrong with her connection. But <clears throat> this chapter is a this, this is a very controversial verse down through the centuries. Not just controversial because of the content of it. Uh, as far as our culture is concerned, which we'll discuss in a moment. But I think it's also a, one of difficult exegesis or interpretation. And you have to look in the, in the context. But in, the, in this chapter, Paul, in, check, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is discussing, um, beginning in, in verse 8, he says, I desire that men pray in every, everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and disputing. And the word men there is the term for not men being anthropos or generic human beings. But that word for men there is the word, if I understand it correctly, is the word for the male anthropos. I mean, aner is the word for a male. And so he says that he wants males, uh, uh, grown men, to pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. In like manner, in verse 9, that the women also adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and, mo- and moderation and so forth. And he says, and I do not, but they're to, they're to learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man to, uh, to be in silence. And he gives some reasons for that. Well, I'll be glad to discuss those verses with anybody who wants to call in or text in about that. But it's obvious from the context, beginning in verse 8, that Paul is is discussing the two sexes, the two genders here, male and female. And he is talking about their general different roles, both in society and in particular, in this case, in the church. They're, they're different roles. That men are in general authority as far as leadership in the church, and they're to pray publicly, he's saying, everywhere, where women are to learn in submission and not to take over this authority from the man. Now, this is obviously culturally very controversial today, which we can discuss why that might be. He gives you two reasons right here. But in this, he says, uh, he says in verse, uh, the two reasons are, verse 13 and 14, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. God intentionally made Adam first, and the woman second. Because he had a different role for each one. And then Adam was not deceived by the serpent in Genesis 3. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. She fell into her own kind of transgression. Because the Bible is real clear that Adam fell into transgression too. It's, oh, this is the Apostle Paul. Well, the Apostle Paul is the one who talks about Adam's sin in the book of Romans. And 1 Corinthians 11. And so it isn't just a Apostle Paul hating women thing. He has something particular in mind in this context about what happened in Genesis 3 about the woman being deceived. What he's saying here, Gary, isn't that Adam was somehow blameless and Eve was the sinner, as some people would have you think the Bible teaches. What he's saying is that Adam sinned intentionally and knowingly sinned in Genesis 3. He knew it was wrong to eat of the fruit, and he ate it anyway. Eve was deceived. She didn't think it was wrong when she did it. And she was wrong, and she was punished for being wrong. 
But which one is better, to intentionally sin against God or to be deceived and sin against God? It's hard you know, to say there's any It's hard to say. But if I had to say, I'd say intentionally sinning is a high-handed sin. It's pretty bad. So God doesn't let Adam off in this at all. Well, he talks about the presumptive sin in, in other right. places. So. We know this. So he doesn't let In fact, man receives his own consequence. The Bible never calls them curses. But he receives his own consequence of his own sin, the male does in Genesis chapter 3, and the woman receives her own consequence as a woman for her sin, because they each sinned differently with respect to their gender and the difference between the two. And the consequences can be the same. They may not be different. Well, ultimately they might be the same. They might both be lost, but they were different in this case. The man was to then earn, earn his living, as it were, and work by the sweat of his face, he would not have the ground bring forth his living to him uh, easily, which tells you something about what was going to happen before that. And the woman was, was then consigned to having pain in childbearing. Okay. And that her desire would always be to her husband, but that he would rule over her. What that means is that the desire, her desire would be to be her husband, that is to be in charge, to be the head, but he would rule over her. He would have authority. So now those are, once again, people don't agree with that because they have their own notions of, of, the, of the genders today. But that's what the Bible says about that, and that's what Paul's referring to in this case about men and women. And so in the end of this, he says that nevertheless, in spite of the fact that the, that, that the woman was deceived and the fact that she has now been put in subjection, by the fact that she in the church has not been put in a position of authority in the church, that she would be saved in childbearing or through childbearing if she can, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So there's a question there then about what this verse means. Number one, I would say before we even discuss any further, we made this point last week and I want to make it again now. The New Testament is very clear, I think, and so is the Bible, that there is, as far as God is concerned, there is no difference in the equality or value of, between men and women. Well, they're, they're each, they each have a different role, but there is no difference in their value as and, far and as I God would, is concerned. Yeah, and I would point out at least three passages that you need to look at in regards to that. Galatians 3, beginning about verse 26, going through 29, and Ephesians 6 beginning at about verse 8, and Colossians 3, beginning about verse 11. And I'm just going to read the Galatians 3, because I think this is talking about what, you, what you're going to here. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, faith also implies obedience here, not just believing. So don't, don't get me wrong in what I'm saying. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Basically, those three passages reflect that basically we are all come to Christ in much the same way. Now, on this earth, we have different roles to play, as you say. But we come to him and we are his through faith and obedience. Right. All of us. Yes. Not just any of us. And there's, there's no difference in God's eyes in the, in the end between any of these. And yet he gives 
specific instructions to masters and to servants and people like that because they play a different role in society. And each of them have their own temptations to bear because of their role that they play in society and in the church. Elders, he says, or those who teach are brought under a greater judgment than those who are not because of the role they play, not because God values them. You know, Gary, here's the problem. Only a society that thinks that those who have power are better than others would have a problem understanding this verse. If we, if we as a society have been conditioned to think that those who have power are better than others, and that we should all aspire to have power, then we're going to have a problem with what Paul says here. Because he says, in the church, men have this public authority. And if only the only way that bothers us is if we think that makes that person somehow better than us because they have public authority. What we have to understand in the church, Jesus says, who, who does he say is the greatest in the kingdom? The one who serves. Those who serve are the greatest. So a Christian is going to have to lay that idea, that worldly idea down, that those who somehow have public uh, presence, like I do, and I'm one of the people that's speaking about this, because I have a public presence in this church. I'm the one that does most of the talking, standing up front. I'm on the radio here. Gary's also a, a, a public presence. Uh, if we have this idea in us, or we let this be present in the church, that somehow that makes us better or less accountable, or somehow have privilege over others, then we're just perpetrating a worldly idea of the kingdom and of authority. But he says, in the church, this is not so. The greatest ones are the ones who serve in God's eyes. So having authority to speak in a church doesn't make a person better or worse. Only a worldly person would think such. And yet that's, and yet, uh, that's the point he's making here. He's saying that in, when you think that way, you're missing the point. A woman will be saved, it says, in or through childbearing if she continues in faith, or if they, that is women, continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, now what this is, what I mentioned are two or three possibilities for what this childbearing says, or it is talking about. Uh, one of them, and this may be what the texture was, has heard or was referring to. I haven't heard this taught publicly if I have, it's been a long, long time ago in the distant memory that somehow if a woman was childless, she never married or she never was able to bear children, that somehow she can't be saved because her role as a woman is to bear children. And if she doesn't do that, she's less of a woman. That's one interpretation. I think that's completely false, and it's not borne out at all in any other scripture. There's nowhere else in the Bible that I could go to to show that God somehow holds women who are childless uh, to be accountable for that or in some way that becomes a failing of theirs or that they're not real women. None of those things is borne out by any other passage that I know of. So we can, I think we can throw that idea out, and yet that's the one that probably when people make a cursory reading of this passage, they think somehow that the Bible is teaching that. Childbearing. Go ahead, Gary. Well, basically, it goes back to the point that I've been trying to make in terms of studying the Bible. Those passages that I read uh, for you are uh, the one that I quoted and basically the others I cited. In Galatians 3 and Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, 
they bear on this. And you have to understand that their bearing also bears on this scripture. Jesus, when he was tempted by, the, by Satan, Satan quoted a passage that says, throw yourself down because God will bear you up. And when you read the exact passage, you know, it, it, you could understand it that way. But Jesus said, uh-uh, wait a minute, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your right. God. That second passage modified the meaning of the first. Right. And we have to understand that when we study the Bible, that is often the case. That we have to understand all the scriptures that, that, that pertain to those things. That, 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 that's really my point. And that's so often ignored, uh, particularly in terms of the question of what must I do to be saved. That, that idea is so often ignored when studying scripture. It, it's, it really troubles me in many ways. Right. And I just couldn't leave that out because basically this is, this is what we're doing here is not just what does the Bible say and what does it mean, but it needs to be understood in the terms of this is how we have to gain the meaning of Scripture. Right. You have to look at the, what had to look at how, what it all says about what it all says and put the meanings together and keep it in its context. Yes. Okay. Now, so therefore, when you look at this passage here in First Timothy. Uh, the other one of the other interpretations is that uh, it means that I didn't really get to last week that some versions say the childbearing. I can't remember which ones they are. It puts the capital C with childbearing, and it's saying that women are going to be saved through the childbearing of Jesus, of Mary. I mean, bearing Jesus. It makes it a reference to Jesus being born through Mary. That although women sinned and Eve sinned. That the redemption for women comes because Mary is allowed to bear the child that saves all men. There's some theological basis for that. It certainly isn't untrue. It's not something that's just untrue like the idea, well, you've got to have a baby physically or you can't be saved or you're less of a woman. That's actually untrue. The interpretation that says the childbearing is true within the scripture. Because women are saved, and that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, that all men, even males, he said, you don't have any advantage over women if you're a male, uh, even though you were formed first, because he, she, all men come through a woman, literally through woman. So th- that's a generic truth about all, all men are here because a woman's body bore them, so they have no advantage. They're not to be esteemed more highly because they're male. And, which was a radical idea in the first century. And secondly, the idea that, um, that they certainly can't be said to be any better because in this case, Mary, a female, bore God's son uh, into the world and therefore it was enabled all men to be saved and all women to be saved. Now, so that, that's, a, that's a reasonable interpretation of the passage uh, and there are some ups and downs with that. I mean, there's some pros and cons of that. It doesn't seem to me to fit the context quite as well. It's a big leap to some degree. I think it's more likely. Now, now John Piper takes the position, if you ever heard of John Piper, that she'll be saved, that he's referring back to the original punishment or consequence to Mary, uh, to Eve in the garden, that there would be, there would be great... Uh, pain associated with childbirth, and I, I take the position. I don't know what 
Piper does, but that the pain, the pain that Eve would experience wasn't physically bearing a child. That somehow before she sinned, having a child was going to be painless. And now after she sinned, it was going to be physically painful. I don't think that makes any sense, that God anatomically changed women after the fall so that they somehow now have pain. It's more likely what hap- what he's referring to. In the pa- what was the pain that Eve experienced in bearing her children? Well, the first one out of the bat killed the second one. Okay, first one up to bat, Cain killed the second one. And now she, and I think that that pain was present earlier because uh, immediately she names Cain, her firstborn, Cain, which means to get. And she says, I've gotten, we've gotten a man from the Lord. This is the Savior. She was still suffering the, the guilt of her sin and she knew she had caused it and she wanted some redemption for it and she thought that bearing this son was going to be the solution. Well, it's, it's interesting to me that basically she was looking to bear the Savior herself, and yet it was Mary who actually... In the long run, she was wrong about in, that. In, right. in the long run, she was wrong. But of course, it was, of course it, Mary it was, was a descendant of Eve, and that's right. right. And that's why he, the serpent, this, God told, told uh, the serpent that the seed of woman would crush your head. And this is what Eve was really thinking about, that now here's the seed of woman... Um, and so the woman is not downgraded in, the, in even these so-called curses or consequences in Genesis 3. She's given the role of bringing about the destruction of Satan. And through the woman, this is going to happen. And so, uh, once again, there is an equality. That's shown, a basic fundamental equality is shown, even in, the, even in Genesis, even though there's a difference in their roles. Now, the other thing, though, that happens is, and I remember feeling this as a father, and I know my wife felt it maybe more than me, and when our children were born, we felt this great burden of what, we, what kind of world we had brought them into, what was going to happen to them, and the responsibility of being a parent. And a mother feels that extremely strongly. This is the pain of childbearing that I think God is referring to, not the physical pain. There have even been some Christians, Gary, who in the past thought that a woman was possessed if she didn't experience great suffering in childbirth. They tried to accentuate the suffering of childbearing literally because they thought that that meant some kind of redemptive, had some kind of redemptive power. And that if a woman didn't experience great pain, and many don't experience excruciatingly great pain, uh, they, they thought that was somehow that meant that she was wicked. So there's this, that kind of misinterpretation of this passage. Maybe that's what our text was referring to on Mother's Day. I think the pain of childbearing was bringing a child into a sinful world that Eve had helped create. And you know what? As parents, we all can kind of feel way back down instinctively that we don't have all the answers for our kids either yeah, and one, how we're going to the, raise them. One of the things I have difficulty expressing to Sharon is... Is, is the Sharon being your wife, yes. Yes. It's the disappointment, I feel, in where our society is going today and where our society is pointing both our children and our grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, if I ever get to see them. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew very well my, one of my great-grandfathers, and yet I, I did not appreciate the fact that uh, I should should have gotten to know him even better than I did. Well, here's but, the thing, but, though, Gary. Uh, I'm sure our great-grandparents and grandparents would think we were way off track, too. There's always that. I don't think they would like the world as we see it now right. anymore. Um, 
and uh, but you're you're right. They, the, we we things have changed a lot, and and overall, and the direction a lot of I it's see not it, for the good. No, the direction I see it going is not for the good. Not for the good, uh, and that's that's been true a lot of times in history. That's true. Now the other. Uh, John Piper takes the view that she would be saved through childbearing, just like it says even in First in First uh, Corinthians three that even if a man do we- does well and his works are burned up, he would be saved through this fire. Saved through fire, he would be saved through the fire, in spite of the fire. On the other side of the fire, he'd be saved. And so, here's this childbearing. And, and for centuries, he says, women died in childbirth, experienced great suffering in childbirth, sometimes were physically injured and permanently deformed and injured in childbirth, if they even survived. But they would be saved in spite of all of those things. They would still be saved if they continued in good works. Now, that, that makes a little sense. I can see that. That Once again, it's not something that is, on the surface, untrue. Uh, the question is: Is it what's being said in this context? Well, I, I even think this is just being my view. saved through it to go to the other side. Yeah, but my my view of this is the emphasis on the emphasis is on if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and self control. That actually says basically, if you don't continue in those, childbearing is worthless, or whatever whatever he's referring to here as childbearing is worthless in the sense, that sense, that the important things are continuing in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Okay. That, that's my view of it, that, that basically this is, the childbearing is a secondary idea in this passage. It's not the primary idea. Well, the act of giving birth but to a child is a secondary well, even, idea. Well, even if it's through and, and, other he, things, it's, it's a secondary aspect. It's well, not what, I'm tra- what I was trying to explain last week about this is that the... The, the word childbearing is simply, in the context, a metonymy or one word that stands for all the rest of what it means to be a woman. He's contrasting womanhood with manhood here in the context of this passage. Yeah, but what it means, and here he's saying, in childbearing, she's going to be saved in being a woman. If well, she continues in doing what's right, she's going to be saved in by being a woman as God made her to be a woman, yeah, not in trying to be and, a man. And just a second, if 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 she does not continue in faith, love, and holiness, even being a woman is going to be worthless. Well, even, yes, I, but, even in but, the role. But of be, being, being the right kind of woman is the point, and yes. that's continuing in faith. So, um, yes, and I think that's what I think that's the proper interpretation. It is a. A word metonymy, one word that stands for the whole word, and so forth. So, anyway, that's a little fuller explanation of the question that was asked last week. So now, Gary, we just got an interesting text. If I can pull it back up here, uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, this is from uh, a local uh, caller. I don't remember the name. This fellow called in a couple weeks ago. So let me read the whole thing to you. Two weeks back, he says. Let me give the numbers, by the way, too, before we start this. Um, If you want to reach We Are Just Christians, 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. 772-340-1590 is the call-in number. And if you'd like to text us, you can reach us at two numbers, 772-260-6120 and 772-260-6220. All right, this fellow says, two weeks back, I asked why you do not allow musical instruments in your church 
after searching the scripture, I find no basis for this rule. Period. Well, we discussed that, and we'll discuss again in just a moment. I think I gave you very scriptural reasons why we don't use it, and uh, I think the answer that I received back was, well, I'm still going to do it anyway, but we'll come back to that. He says, uh, when I visited your church one Sunday, a lot of the time was spent arguing over it being wrong to celebrate the Lord's Supper at night service. Uh, uh, again, where does it say in Scripture it can only be done in the morning service to close and so forth? So, well, yeah, that we had a Bible class about the Lord's Supper. If I, I don't remember this service happening specifically, except I do know we had some, a Bible class here a couple months ago in which we discussed having two services on the Lord's Supper on Sunday instead of one. What does the Bible say about that? Because this issue has been brought up over the years. And so this person says he doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. We can discuss that issue if you'd like. I don't find that that's a non-important issue. So he says, um, to close, or last week you spent 40 minutes with a caller that made no sense at all. And I appreciate not wanting to be rude, but why take up that much time on psychobabble? People need to hear the simple message of salvation by accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, okay, we, when, you, when you came to our service, sir, I can guarantee you that um, we told you how to become a Christian. And we do that often on this show. I just don't think that people uh, always agree with that. But this show is about answering people's questions or getting into areas where people can learn how to read and study the Bible for themselves. So yes, sometimes we get off on issues that maybe we spend too much time on. Them. Maybe we spent too much time last week on um, a call that we had. Uh, that's going to be a judgment call, but um, I don't know why we would call it uh, psychobabble and so forth to discuss a Bible topic. But let's go back to the other thing. I appreciate this text, by the way. Um, I, we invite people to offer criticism, and that's probably a good a good thing for us to think about how much time we spend on different different stuff. So uh, I think the call we're being referred to is the one about 153 fish or something like that. Okay, I think the caller was trying to make a point, even though I disagreed with the point to some degree, is that numbers in the Bible have some significance, and that they all have some kind of meaning beyond just you know, um, there's a superficial meaning to it. If we spent uh, all of our time on this show talking about salvation, we've all, we would receive texts from other people saying, why don't you dig a little deeper into the Word? So we try to balance that out a little bit. And secondly, I can tell you that our view of how to be saved is not just simply telling people to, quote, accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Or pray the sinner's prayer. Or pray the sinner's prayer because that's not what the Bible says. And I would challenge whoever's listening to, if you want to call in, I say challenge in a nice way, find me the sinner's prayer in the Bible or where anybody was saved by praying in the New Testament. Go to the New Testament, find a place where somebody was saved by simply praying a prayer. And then find, or find the sinner's prayer in the New Testament. And find the idea of just 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 accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by itself as a means of salvation. Of course, no one can be saved without accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
But what does, it, what does the Bible say it takes to, quote, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? So we can talk about that another time. But let's go back to this thing about musical instruments. This caller says that's not an important issue, or, or I think the implication was he didn't think that was an important issue to be discussed. Well, it's certainly been an important issue down through time historically to be discussed. For one thing, the Old Testament, as if I remember the call, uh, and I hope I'm remembering correctly, if I'm not, call back in because I want to make sure we get your call, your point correctly, that he, he gave, pointed to two or three of the Psalms. I think Psalm 78, if my memory's right, maybe 148, 149, where the Bible uh, talks about offering up praise in the temple with different kinds of instruments. I even pointed out to him myself, without him bringing it up, Second Chronicles 29, uh, 26, 29, where Jesus, I mean where Jesus, where the writer commands through the prophet Gad, or Nathan or Gad, I have to look it up here, I'm kind of doing it off the top of my head, where the prophet, and he names him, said, bring these instruments into the temple and play these instruments at certain services in the temple. So I have no question in my mind that instrumental music was used in the temple in the Old Testament, in David's time and forward from there. There's no question that that is exactly what was done. So, but the question then becomes, then the, then the leap is made, the assumption is then made. Well, since they did it in the temple in the Old Testament, we should do that today and nobody should complain about that. Well, they also, also offered animal sacrifices in the temple. In the very same passage, in the very same temple that they offered up instrumental music, they offered up animal sacrifices. They burned incense in that same temple. What are we going to do with those verses, see? What proves too much proves nothing. Or there's also a dress code for people who enter the temple. All, the only ones that are doing this were priests. priests. The, only people, the only people playing these instruments in the Old Testament were priests. They were not common people coming into a church with their guitar and playing a song. They were the priest dressed in a particular garb, particular outfit, on particular days of the week that came into the temple and played instruments in the temple. So, yes, of course the Bible says that they use instruments in the Old Testament. And I, and I tried to point out from the, from the New Testament is that we today in the Church of Christ here in Savona Boulevard and many other places, we also use instruments to play in the temple of God. The temple, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, is the church, You're the, living the body stone. of Christ, made the up living, of living, living stones. stones. It's a spiritual temple. And we are built upon spiritual sacrifices. Number one, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who did away with all the other sacrifices and did away with the law of Moses, that's mentioned in the book of Second Chronicles. And did so away forth. with the worship he, in that physical temple. It was superseded by the spiritual law of Christ with a new temple made of living stones, Christians. And it, all Christians are now priests. And so these priests can offer up holy sacrifices, according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, of their holy lives, they offer up these sacrifices. And we then, as, as priests who have been sanctified by God, use instruments, the instruments of our heart. We make melody with our hearts, according to Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3. We make melody with our hearts to the Lord. 
So yes, in the church here at Port St. Lucie, Sabona Boulevard, we believe in instruments of music being used in worship, and we use them every service. We sing with sanctified, blood-cleansed hearts on the instruments that God authorized in the New Testament to Jesus Christ. And until very recent times, this was, this was the universal practice of the church. If you want to look into church history, you will find that it was centuries upon centuries after the apostles died before any Christians began to use instrumental music and were accepted in churches after that time. Using instrumental music and having bands in churches and people playing instruments in, the, in, their, in their worship was simply not accepted by early Christians, nor is it present in the New Testament in the worship of the church. But using instruments of the heart was accepted because we play now on spiritual instruments. As much. They also circumcised children. Uh, every, pers- every person who entered the temple in the Old Testament had to be circumcised. You want to go back to the law of the temple... Every person who entered the temple had to be circumcised, and only males could enter the temple. Are we going to go back and keep that law? If we want to go back and pull the instrumental music law out, why don't we go back and keep that law of only letting males come to church, and they have to all be circumcised? The reason we don't is because the New Testament doesn't teach that. It teaches okay. we are all male We're or We're all female. circumcised by belief in Jesus Christ, and all male and female are the same, and we all can come into the temple and worship because we are the temple. So, and, and, so that's the that's the way that we're kind of looking at that. Well, I'd like to point out again, Mike, that there is one another major religion that does not use instrumental music today, still does not after two thousand years, and that's the Eastern Orthodox Church. They still do not use instruments of music in their worship, is my understanding. Yes, and if you ask them why they don't use it. They say because God hasn't granted us the authority to use it in our worship today. Right. And, and that's the point we would make. There is no authority that we have commanding us or giving us the liberty to use mechanical instruments of music in our worship today. Yeah, the difference is mechanical. Yeah. And even such famous uh, people as John Calvin, uh, the Presbyterian, uh, and... Uh, Charles Spurgeon the Baptist, most famous preachers of all time, did not believe in using instrumental music. So I I don't have any, I'm not afraid to defend that position, and I don't think it's an unimportant question. How Christians worship God, and by what means they worship Him, is something that was being dealt with as far back as Cain and Abel. Well, he was... Because he accepted Abel's worship and not Cain's worship because it wasn't offered correctly. Well, throughout the Old Testament, the point is, God keeps making the point to the children of Israel, you need to worship me the way I tell you to worship me. Exactly. And that's the point we would make about that. Now, uh, you you know, uh, you can make up your own mind about it. I can explain to you what I think the scriptures say about music in the New Testament as far and against the Old. I, I think you need to make up your own mind about what you think is right, and I'm sure that you will. But just to dismiss a disagreement and say, well, that's not an important issue, I, don't, I just don't think that's the right approach. I, I know that it's upsetting to, to the person who texts it in. I know that's upsetting to you or something. So, Well, um, I have a question that came yeah. out of this, Mike, that I'd like to ask. I, had, I, had, I haven't researched this. It just came up in my mind. 
those Old Testament instruments had to be sprinkled with the blood of a sacrifice to be brought into the temple. Exactly. They all had to be sanctified by blood. And that's the point. They had to be sanctified. Now, what does it mean to be sanctified? It means set apart for the Lord and for his use and for his use only. Could they ever bring those instruments out? They can't take them home and do anything with them because they're now sanctified only for his use. Right. And so the point I would make about that is, in God's new temple, the church, if I want to bring an instrument into the church to praise God with, by the word church there, I don't mean the building, I mean into the assembly assembly. of of Christians, wherever that may be, or into the church. Because the word church is sometimes used to mean the assembly, sometimes it just means the gathering of the body or the body but if I want to bring an instrument in to worship God with that instrument if I'm going to keep the parallel with the Old Testament has to be sprinkled by blood now my question is how am I going to sprinkle a guitar or organ with blood and more importantly to to make it holy so I can use it in the worship if I want to if I want to say I'm going to strum the strings of this guitar and that that strumming sound is going to go up to God as a sweet smelling aroma as worship to him how am I going to sanctify that guitar to do it whose blood am I going to put on it am I going to put animal blood on it am I going to put my blood on it on it am I going to put Christ's blood on it well how in the world would I put Christ's blood on it the only thing I can, that can have Christ's blood sprinkled on it as an instrument to be used in worship is the human heart that is submitted to Christ and been baptized into Christ and put on Christ, as Paul says. That human heart is an instrument that can be used to praise God with. And, and that's, you know, that's what we practice here. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of ins and outs to that, but that's about as simple as I can make it. There's some other reasons why. Uh, I don't think instrumental music, mechanical instrumental music, should be used in public worship, but that is probably the easiest and best one for, for us to understand. Now, I'd be glad to discuss this further, but I think the point of the text, though, Gary, was that we don't even need to talk about it at all because it's not important we should be talking about Accept people accepting Christ as the Savior, which is a good point. I don't deny that we should talk well, about I'd that. Well, I'd like to talk about a couple of those. You All know, right. what, what does it mean to accept Christ? Jesus says uh, in Matthew ten thirty two, he says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Seems to me, if God, if Jesus is going to accept you, you have to confess him before men. Yes. Well, and, and that's what, part of accepting Jesus, isn't it? That's part of accepting yeah. Jesus. That's, that's not just believing in Jesus. That means I need to confess him with my mouth before men. And Paul says that, I believe, in the Romans. I think you may have that there. Mm-hmm. Boy, he talks about that. Another Romans thing, 6. So I think we yeah. put it there. We're, we're buried with Christ in baptism. We put on mm-hmm. Christ, Christ and so forth. That's how it happened. That's how we get into Christ. And... and the instructions given that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost is he told them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is also necessary, not just acceptance of Christ. We have to repent of our former life and, and basically turn to live our life like him. That's also a requirement. So, Mike, we're, you know, let's, let's look. At, it's like I said before, let's look at all of what the scripture says. 
before we make a judgment about what we need to do or what God is telling us to do. Well, Gary, you know, I would say there's probably some of our members here at this church are sometimes get frustrated with you and I on this show because we we talk about all different kinds of things and we're not on here every week, you know, telling people uh, five steps to salvation or the plan of salvation, which we probably should do more. I'm just, I'm not defending all of that completely. What I'm trying to say is we're, we're trying to start with where we think a lot of people are. And in the end, the, the way that people are going to be saved is, is by accepting Jesus Christ. But now broke that, break that down. And what does, how do you find out what that is? And how do you go and find out what it means to accept Jesus Christ? What is involved? You just mentioned a couple of scriptures right there that you aren't going to get just by saying some kind of sinner's prayer. You have to go further. And so I'll go back and quote your verse. Jesus says, the words that I speak will judge you in the last day. We spend our time pointing people in various ways as best we can, uh, sometimes misguidedly, to the Word. Hopefully, when those people, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5, when he wrote it down as revealed by the Spirit, that when we read it, we can understand his knowledge of the mystery, Ephesians 3, 3 through 5. So when they begin to learn how to read the Scriptures, then they can come to begin to understand how to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then we're spending a lot of other time trying to convince people that they ought to even care that they have a Savior and why it even matters. So, yes, uh, the priorities and the way we we end up using our time on this show is a valid area of criticism. Maybe we need to go think and pray about that some more. But the overall purpose remains the same. To point people to the Word of God, a clear, plain understanding of it, so that they might find out from the words of Jesus Christ and His apostles, words as He told uh, uh, Cornelius, whereby words, you might be saved. Words by which you might be saved. A man is going to come and tell you words by which you might be saved. It wasn't the words per se that saved Him, it was understanding the words and obeying the, the words, words that would save him. But without the words, he wouldn't know. It's a Jesus. The popular idea today is we can know what God thinks. I just got to raise my hands and say the name Jesus over and over again, and I'm going to be flooded with feelings. When I follow those feelings, then I'll be right with God. That is not what the Bible says. And I'm not trying to be mocking here. I'm trying to point out what oftentimes we hear presented as a plan of salvation. Just raise your hands and accept Jesus into your heart, and then whatever you feel from that experience, that's what you should do. That's not what the Bible says about how to find God and how to be saved. I wish we had a picture of that right now. Of me raising my hands and, and holding my head. Yeah, I, I, I do this. But... But that's what—that's the picture that people have, Gary. Well, in Luke 13... And I'm not mocking yeah. people that, that pray to God with their hands. I'm just pointing out, once again, I want what to... does the Bible say? That's where we're going to go back yeah. to. Write, write, some of these, write some of these things down, like, like this Luke, this Matthew 10, 32, and 33 passage. Write some of that down. Write one of these down. Write this down. Luke 13 and verse 5. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I mean, he's telling you, and that's the negative side. If you don't do this, you're going to be lost. Uh, Basically, what Peter says on on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. 
Baptism is the point that God forgives your sins because you have obeyed what he said to do. That's what we're told in the scripture. And if you don't obey, Jesus is the author of salvation to all who obey him. You know, right. look that up. Right. That, that, you know, that, that's my paraphrase, but I think that's pretty close to a direct quote. Mm-hmm. Jesus became the author of salvation to all who obey him. Right. That's important. Now, what do we know what to do? What is obeying You can't him? obey a feeling. You can't obey. You, you have to obey something stated for you to do, a command yeah. or a statement. You know, we even can go back, Gary, to the other issue that was raised that came up in our Bible class. We had rather detailed Bible classes sometimes because people are free in our 10 o'clock Bible class uh, on Sunday morning and our Wednesday night classes when we have them. Sometimes we have them on Sunday. We are not having Sunday night and Wednesday night now because of this virus, but we'll probably resume those soon. But in our Sunday morning 10 a.m. Bible class, it's open. You can ask whatever question. I have a subject we discuss or whoever's teaching. But let's just take this Lord's Supper question about like Sunday night. Well, before you start that, I want to make one point about that. The reason we discuss these things is because it's important that we obey what God says. Well, that's, the point, that's the point I'm going to make, is that we're trying to go through and give and have people in their own mind and conscience come to some understanding of whatever issue it is. And I, I know, I know it, we get, it can be tedious. A person like me who spent their life uh, looking into some of these things, and I don't make me an expert, but maybe it just makes me a nerd. Yeah, I can go and spend hours on every little detail, and I know that that's not productive sometimes. It's a valid criticism. But here, thing, let me give a quote from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 about this. He says that, I First Corinthians eleven twenty three is speaking of the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same that I betrayed, took bread, and he goes on to say he broke it and gave thanks. He gives a whole uh, dissertation in this passage, before and after that verse, about how they should be partaking of the Lord's Supper. Now, person may not agree with my position or our position or whatever it may be, but to say that we shouldn't be talking about that, I think is misguided. The Apostle Paul spent a good part of a chapter addressing a church, a church like ours, a New Testament church in in Corinth, about the issue of what's the right and wrong way to partake or the manner of partaking of the Lord's Supper. So, as Christians, we need to think about that. Well, it was obvious from the passage that they were doing something that was not correct. They weren't. So now, now we were trying. We're we were trying to examine various issues. A person will throw up their hand and say, "Well, you know, I already know about that. I don't want to hear about that. I understand." Or you're going into too much detail. You're straining out gnats instead of, uh, you know, missing the camels. I understand those criticisms. But one of the reasons that what was probably, uh, here's the point I want to make for our listeners who were not here. What was probably up on the screen behind me while I was answering those questions in that Bible class, well, those very scriptures were being displayed up on the screen behind there. So that because we were talking about the ins and outs and the details, the proper understanding and misunderstandings of those scriptures. That's what our Bible class is about. And that probably doesn't appeal to a lot of people, but that that's what it's about. And hopefully, it would be something that a lot of people, if they only if they knew about, it, would be interested in. And you're welcome to come and participate in the Bible class. 
If you think it's misdirected, say so. We can talk about that. But the reason it was being discussed, well, I'll tell you what I do sometimes, Gary, same thing I do in this show. Topic, topic will come up just like, just like we did about this issue about childbearing. Uh, maybe this is from my old debate days. I'll say, well, here are the possible possibilities of this, A, B, C, and D, and here's the one I think is right. So I'll give you some pluses and minuses on either side or back and forth about various parts of an issue. To lay out a whole issue, you can see a range of beliefs about some issue, and then we'll talk about, okay, how do we apply that now to what the Scriptures do say? Uh, Looking back, I suppose, without even intending it to be such, that's my modus operandi of discussing issues. I think it's the right way to do it overall. Well, well, there there are many things that enter into what I would consider the right way to look at it. The most difficult thing is an honest evaluation of what the text actually says. Too many of us have presuppositions that go into it that, that often we are not even aware of. Those presuppositions yeah, and will flavor. And looking at contrasting views is a way to clarify the right. presuppositions. Right, looking at contrasting views is a way to do that. The problem we run into is just like everybody else, everyone has an ego. Everyone has basically a presupposition of some sort, even if they're not conscious of it. That's why comparing of scriptures is so important, and comparing of ideas and interpretations is often important. Right. Well, I, and I'll say, I say, I say this oftentimes in, during our assemblies, beginning of our my, my sermon. Sometimes I'll say, "Look, we appreciate you visiting. We we have guests a lot of the time. Thank you for being here. Give us a few weeks. Come back for a few weeks and see, because you can't always get the flavor of what's really happening here, because it's a different experience than you're used to in a Catholic mass or a Pentecostal service. It's a different kind of experience." So come back for a few weeks and get a flavor of it. And that's probably, uh, that's why I give that advice. But, but they, I, I want to say something before I forget it. I really appreciate this text. I, really, I, re- I know it may not sound like it, but I really appreciate this text. It takes courage and honesty to write that kind of text. I appreciate it. We'd be glad to have more texts like that uh, for this show and to give us some help. So thank you very much for, for texting well, that before, in. Well, before we run out of time, I want to make one more point. We, we have often said John twelve forty eight which you quoted, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. None of us are going to avoid that. The words that Jesus spoke will be the standard by which we will be judged. Now maybe I should be quoting another passage, the one where it says Jesus is the author of salvation to all who obey him. Those two passages together should make it very important to anyone that we need to obey God, not what we feel, not what we want, not what pleases us, because that's what he's looking for. He's looking for the humble and contrite heart, and that's in Scripture too. And that's maybe, maybe Mike, he's right, we don't spend enough time on that. And I, I can certainly accept that, that as a valid criticism uh, of the show, that we don't spend sometimes enough time on those kinds of things. But I do appreciate uh, him calling in. Now, I, I do want to, um, as we close our show, we got about yeah. a minute left, Gary. Yeah, we're running out of time. And, and so I, I want to, we're going to have to close out here today. But I do thank you, you for participating by text or by phone call. Those who listen here locally, those who listen uh, on the Internet, we're very grateful for that. You can go to WPSL.com and get this show on the Internet. We're glad you can do that. 
And we'd like to invite you to come and be with us when you feel like you can. We're at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. And we'd be glad to have you come and visit us anytime at 10 and 11 now on Sundays. We'll resume our other services later. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. And until next week, may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians, live from Savota Church in Port St. Lucie, with your host, Mike Smith, on WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 10 o'clock.